uh, we've been talking about being in a growing relationship with our church. You, you know that you're in a growing relationship with your church when. Now, before I finish that statement, I just want to say, relationships in general, they're, they're, this, and this is a life principle, relationships in general, you're either moving toward life, you're growing, moving toward life, or you, there is really no maintaining. You're either moving, growing toward life, or you're moving toward death. That's, that's life. If, if I stood still for more than 10 seconds, which I actually am not capable of doing, the doctors say, um, if I stood still for more than 10 seconds, then what would happen is in my stillness, that on a molecular level, like I'm still vibrate, like there's still movement, like there's constant movement. And, and I, it's like for us to understand, we're growing, we're, we're moving, we're changing. And so in our relationship with people, relationship with our jobs, relationship with our neighbors, relationship with our spouses, relationship with our families, Relationship, even yes, with our church. We are in a growing relationship. I hope you're in a growing relationship. And if you're not, I would venture to say that you're probably in a relationship that's somewhat frustrating because you feel like, ah, and stuck. And some of us feel that way about our jobs. My, my this, is, this, is how, this is how I view things. If I press into growing in that relationship, things will get better. One of the ways you know that you're in a growing relationship is when you're investing in the relationship mission. So with our church, you know you're in a growing relationship with the church if you're investing in the mission of the church. We're going to read Acts chapter 2 really quick, and then I'm going to talk about what the mission of the church is globally. And we're going to break down what this idea of investment looks like. Now before I jump into verse 42, I'm going to set the tone for what's happening uh, this is going to take place in Jerusalem, the part of the story in Acts. And uh, it's happening in Jerusalem, and it's happening during a time where lots and lots of people are traveling from all over the place because they're good Jewish people that come back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And they're going to celebrate um, all these festivals, and they have all these things going on. There's a specific reason why they're coming into town, but all of them don't live there. This is important for us to understand. At the time, the population of Jerusalem was about 70 to 80,000 people. 70 to 80,000 people were living inhabitants of Jerusalem. And what we're about to read is going to add some people to, to the city, into the population. Siri is wanting to talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. Um, that was super weird. Technology is amazing. Um, so we have 70,000, 80,000 people, and we're going to watch this influx of people. The population of Jerusalem, certain estimates say that it could have doubled. It could have doubled during Pentecost, where people are coming in to celebrate. That's a massive amount of people. And Jesus at the time tells his disciples, I want you to go, his followers, I want you to go up to this room, I want you to wait. Jesus has died, Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. And he's talking to his disciples. He says, I want you to go, all the believers, there's 120 of them. I want you to go into this upper room. I want you to wait there because I'm going to send you something. I'm going to send you something that's, that's better. I'm going to send you an advisor. I'm going to send you a counselor. I'm going to send you something that's going to give you peace. Holy Spirit. So they all go up in. They're spending time in this room. Holy Spirit shows up. It's crazy. They start speaking in tongues. That caused a bunch of controversy um, throughout humankind. Um, people debate it. And here we are, we see the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit, though, these people are speaking in tongues. Then all of a sudden, they start telling the story of what's happening, and Peter, the, he's in the middle of all this, and he says, 
hey, and he starts preaching this story of Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to back up a few verses. He starts preaching, preaching the story of Jesus. And all these people are listening. He says, with many other words, he warned them, all the people that are listening. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, here we have a story where Peter preaches, power of the Holy Spirit is amongst them. He preaches, 3,000 people get added. So you have 120 people and you have 3,000 people getting added. How many people is that? This is not, this is like, okay, this is, okay, you have 3,000, okay. This is going to take some work, so i got to get some water. We have 3,000 people. You guys are the 3,000 side. There was 120 already. You're the 120 side. Okay? If we put the 3,000 side, big plus sign, with the 120 side, how many people do we have? Be still my heart. I love it when math comes together, okay? We have 3,120 people. Now, why am I bringing that up? It's fascinating to me that God cares about every one of those numbers. God, like God cares so much about numbers, he wrote a book called Numbers. Have you ever read it? It's in the Old Testament. It's, it's like the worst book ever. I'm reading through numbers and I was just like, it's horrific. Has anyone ever read it here? How many of you read it more than once? There's something wrong with you. I'm like, I read it one time. That's all I need to know. Like, you know, this tribe, this son, 59,720. I mean, he, God's like very exact. And I was just like, how many times? And son, this son of, so, and you know, I'm in the book. Right now I'm in the book of numbers in my own personal like reading time. So I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, the days are numbered. Like how many more days do I have to be in numbers? Like two chapters of numbers is like a year of reading an encyclopedia to me. I'm just like, this is the worst thing ever. Can I just Google it? Like, but God cares about numbers. So we, it's important for us to understand there's 3,120 people now that are following Jesus. This is the very early church. This is the very beginning. This is the very beginning, by the way. This is, this is the lineage that you and I came from. We're sitting in this place. 3,120 people. The reason I'm bringing that because what, what he, what, what's about to be said in verse 42, they, who is they? Who? Oh, it's not just 1,500 of them? No, who, who's they? All of them, how many is all? I'm going to ask you this a few times, so just be ready. How many is all? Okay, so 3,120 of them devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Everyone. So how many was everyone? How many was it? You mean it wasn't just like 10? No. It was, all, it was all of them, right? And all is how many? Okay. 
This is so good. If for nothing else today, you guys are going to know when you walk out of here, there was 3,120 people. People will be like, how was church? You were like, I don't even remember anything, but 3,120 people were right there in the early church, man. It was good. All of them. And they did something. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, and then you're going to tell the person you told, how many people did I just say? And they're going to say, 3,120. You're like, that's right, 3,120 people. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together. How many believers was that? Was it, it wasn't 3,100? Oh, it was what? 3,120, okay. I was just checking. I thought maybe things had changed. And they had everything in common. Oh, my gosh. Everything? You mean they just didn't have a couple things in common? They had everything in common? Did you know that word everything in common doesn't mean they agreed on everything? When we read the scripture, we go, this is amazing. We need to go back to the early church where everyone agreed on everything. No, 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 no. Everything in common doesn't mean that they agreed on everything. In fact, it meant that they disagreed on everything, but all of them were living in a place where they shared common worth they, they had a common union, and they were able to focus beyond their agreements on the things that they were aligned to, and they were aligned to the mission that Jesus had called them to. So all of them, 3,120 of them, were able to live together and have everything in common. Not some things, have everything in common. It literally meant to share, that they just, they, they were able to share. When there was a need, they put in, and then people that needed it, they took it. And everything in common. Not some things, they had everything. That means Everything that was at their disposal was up for grabs for God to say, I want you to use this to fulfill this need. Does that make sense? Because of that, so the next verse, selling, they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. That means their real estate and all their other stuff. It doesn't mean they sold all their real estate and all their stuff. If you're like me, you've got extra stuff laying around. I have a garage that I don't park a car in. Why? Because I got stuff in it. I got a two-car garage. I have two cars worth of stuff in my life. Now, I have 10 people that live in my house. I have some other issues. I need to stop having babies. Not an issue in my world. But we like it's fascinating. We, we have real estate. We have goods, we have things, we have possessions. And, and, I don't, and, and, and I know it's just not me, I know it's an us thing, because we take all of our stuff that's in our garage and we put it in smaller boxes and take it to a place that has built these big boxes that you rent for $300 a month. Then you put your stuff in boxes and you take it and you put it in the bigger boxes and you spend $300 a month to save all your stuff in a box in a bigger box. Right? But that's my stuff. I'm going to spend money to save myself. I don't even know what's in that. I don't even know what's in that box. You're paying $300 a month for I don't know? Yeah, I don't know. But I want it. How do you know you want it? Because it's my stuff. Right? 
but they had everything in common. That means they went like, you know what? I know this is stuff, but it's not really that big of a deal. I'm willing to liquidate it if it helps the need. They had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and goods as needs arise. Do we live like that? No, we pay money for people to hold our stuff. We can't remember what's in. Okay. At the least, don't pay money to hold on to your stuff. Okay. That's another sermon. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Oh my gosh. Every day? Wait, so what they mean, what they mean is on Sundays. Oh no? Every day? How many of them did that every day? Yeah, 3,120. Does that confuse some people? How many of them? You said seven. No, there's seven days. 3,120 people <laughs> every day. You know, not just Monday and Wednesday, because when I grew up, you went to church on Monday and Wednesday, sometimes two or three times on Sunday, right? Sunday, Wednesday, that was church day. Sunday, Wednesday, and then Sundays, it was like all day affair. Like I'm rolling around on the floor delirious as a little kid, taking naps underneath pews and eating communion when I wasn't supposed to. I was just hungry. I was like, this preacher could just preach for hours. I'm like, you guys think like, man, I'm going to sit in an 80-minute service with Pastor Pat. You know, that ain't nothing. I grew up going to church. It was all day long. And then when you were done, you had, a, you had a little break. I already ate all the communion and drank all the juice. It was communion every Sunday in my church. And I, was, I already ate all the food. I'm like, aren't you hungry? Like, I can go feed my kid. I'm like, I'm good. I ate all the communion. <laughs> Those little wafers are disgusting. But after you eat a few of them, they start to get good when you're that hungry. And then we would go eat, and then we would like come back good night, and we would do it all over again. And on Wednesday, we would do it again. And then it was just like, but this says that they did it every day. Every day. That's crazy. 3,120 people to facilitate. Can I, can I also share with you something very quickly? That the 3,000 people, they were there and didn't actually have homes because they were only there for the time of year and what they were celebrating. That's why the needs came up. Because as people get say, as people meet Jesus, there are going to be new needs that weren't there before. And so what they did is they said, there's a need that came up. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to sell some of our stuff in our box that right now we're paying money for someone to keep. And we're going to make sure the need's taken care of. And we're going to meet every day and we're going to do this. 3,120 people. Can you imagine facilitating the meeting of 3,120 people every single day? I can't even get 10 people in my house into a car on time. Someone's always got to go to the bathroom. This is mind-blowing to me. 3,120 people are doing this every day. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Big meetings. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You mean they were pleased with one another? They enjoyed this? Oh, that's weird. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh my gosh. What is the mission of the church? I'm going to really simplify this. In Matthew chapter 28, it gives us this very descriptive, you know, 
Jesus says, all the authority in heaven on earth, I want you to go to all the world, baptizing, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands, and I'll be with you in all this. I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you. Teaching them to obey my commands. What were his commands? You know, it's not a it's not laundry list. It's not like Santa Claus list commands. Here's the commands. We find early in scripture. Here are the commands. In Luke, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That just about wraps up your whole person. So here's the command. You're going to love God with every single ounce and stitch of who you are. Then you're going to love your neighbor just like yourself. So here's the mission of the church. We're going to love God with everything that we have. Everything that we got stashed away in the boxes of our, of our other big boxes. We're going to love him with, with all of our time. We're going to love him with all of our passion, with all of our energy. Man, everyone's got 24 hours a day, but I'm going to love God while I'm awake. I'm going to love God with my wakeful hours to the best of my ability, as passionately as possible. If you're around me for any time, you're going to find out, like, I, I, I have this, I'm a passionate, intense person. I'm going to go, I'm not going to go do a triathlon. I'm going to cry. I want to win the triathlon. I, I don't want to just show, I want to show up and make a difference. I want to be significant. How many of you guys want to be significant when you show up? I want to be significant when I show up. I want to make a difference. I want people to know. I want people to know like, oh, those people, they're serious. They're showing up. They're able to set 3,120 people. They can get all of them on the same page. They can get all of them moving. They can get them all on mission. What's the mission? The mission is that I'm going to love God with every single ounce of who I am. And I'm going to love people around me with every ounce of who I am. And in doing this, I'm going to bring other people into that love. That's the mission. Make it real simple. That's the mission. Let's define this word invest. We need to invest. If you're going to grow in the church, you're investing in this mission. Let's define this word invest. To invest means to devote, to use or give time, talent, emotional energy for a purpose to achieve something with expectation of worthwhile results. We see over 3,000 people, to be specific, right? 3,120 people that are in this space in their lives where they're saying we are fully devoted. That word devote means to invest. We are fully invested in. We are going to give everything that we have. It do, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we all run out. It doesn't mean they all ran out and they liquidated all of their assets and they threw it into some like communal pot. That's not what they did. As needs came up, they, had, they, had, they got rid of it and they took care of the needs. This is not a ploy for like the first signs of communism in society. I've heard people kind of use this as a basis for that. And I'm like, that's not what, it doesn't say they sold everything. So they sold possessions and goods. But you know, it takes a lot of courage to do what they're doing. It takes a lot of courage. The word devoted. They devoted themselves. They invested themselves. That word devoted means to show one's self courageous. It takes courage. That word also means to be constant, to persevere, and to not faint. That takes courage. I love this scripture. I'm going to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now this is guy, Paul's writing this. Paul is this apostle. Crazy story on how he became an apostle. He's an apostle. He's writing these letters. He writes these letters to different churches in the region. It'd be like me writing letters to 
like the church of Oceanside, the church of Vista, the church of San Marcos. Okay, does that make sense? So we have this church, Corinthians, church of Corinth. He's writing this letter. But in this letter that he's writing to them, this is very bizarre to me. He's writing this letter to them, but he brings up the Macedonians. So it would be like me writing a letter to like the church of Oceanside and saying, hey, I, I'm going to share with you something, but the church of Vista did this. I'd be like, why are you doing this? Paul is, is, is spurring them and encouraging them on to rise up. That's what he's doing. And I like the fact, Paul talks a lot in scripture about running your race. And then here, he's, he creates kind of this competitive nature. Like, hey, you, you should be aware of what, like, look at what they're doing. Like, what, what are you, like, what do you do? So he says to them, he goes, and now brothers and sisters, we went, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Why are you telling me about the Macedonian churches, man? Like, and he says, cameraman, you're having a hard time, sorry. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Hold on a second. The Macedonian church is in the middle of trial, but they have an overflowing joy. Can I tell you that overflowing joy only comes from one source? One. You can be joyful, but overflowing joy, like it's the scripture talks about like there is a fountain flowing in us, like flowing out of us. There's this joy overflowing out of us. What is That's the spirit of God that lives in you. He's saying the spirit of a living God is dwelling in these people and there's an overflowing joy. So here's another math equation, okay? You have the spirit of God in you, overflowing joy, big plus sign, plus your acknowledgement about your extreme poverty, which means without God, we got nothing. There's my extreme poverty as a, as a man. Without Jesus, I got nothing. Without Jesus, I'm not the father I need to be. Without Jesus, I'm not the husband I need to be. Without Jesus, I'm not the son I need to be. Without Jesus, I'm not the pastor I need to be. It's the overflowing joy. You, you, you guys are the overflowing joy. I want you to say overflowing joy. Come on. And you guys are this extreme poverty. Say extreme poverty. See, you guys are like, I don't want to be extreme poverty. That's the problem. The problem is we look at the overflowing joy and we go like overflowing joy is good, like extreme poverty, that's no good. We don't want to be, no. We want to be aware of the, of the extreme poverty that we live in without the overflowing joy. Why? Because the equal sign is what? Rich generosity. We don't want to be generous. We want to be richly generous. Like we, we want to be audaciously like crazy generous. How do we do that? Spirit of a living God and overflowing joy, plus the knowledge and the fact that without him, I don't have what it takes. Gives me the ability to say, you can have everything. I'll be devoted and I'm willing to stand courageous, even when it seems crazy. You, are you with me this morning? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. It's in these moments that we're investing when circumstances aren't agreeable around us. 
when, when, the, when, your circum, when my circumstances don't agree with the investment. When your circumstances say, say, hey, you know what? You probably shouldn't send money into your 401k right now because you, you, you have more month than you have money. Do you, does this, anyone, strike your heart? Like, I, I, I sometimes I'm like, I have more month than I have money. So I, I, I can't invest. But this is telling me that beyond my ability, it's when I think I'm not able, that's when we're, that's where investment is. That's where devotion stands. That's where courage stands. It's when my circumstances are like, eh, I don't think so. You're crazy. You're crazy for investing in that. There was a moment last year, this day last year, one year ago today, I stood in San Diego and I was standing at a, at a, at a, wor at a worship event. And I used to be a worship leader. I still am a worship leader. I just don't do it with music. I was a worship leader musically. And I'm standing at this event. And something called David's Tent was launching. Did anyone go to David's Tent last week? I am telling you without a shadow of a doubt, like, buy your tickets as soon as they come available for next year. You want to be at David's Tent. There's no question in my mind. You're going to want to go. We camped down there for like three, four days. It was amazing. It was tons of fun. It was at the fairgrounds. One of the coolest things I've ever experienced. And one year ago today, I'm standing in, in their launch night. Now, uh, Tiffany, who is the managing director and oversees David's Tent International, they've been doing it for eight years in the UK. Over 6,000 people show up to this. Four days of nothing but worship. Worship never stops. 24 hours a day. The music never stops, you guys. It's crazy how they facilitate this. Bands are coming in from all over the place, flying in from all over the world, wanting to participate in this. So they've got international, they have national, they've got local, all kinds of levels. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is God. Yes, you've put this in my heart. I'm gonna see so I go and I show up to their launch night, a guy named Jeremy Riddle's leading worship. God starts speaking to me about worship. And I'm just like, God, like, yeah, I don't know. How's that going to happen, right? Seemed crazy to me. Why? Because of my circumstances. So speak to me about worship. Start speaking about worship in our church. And I was like, well, now you're really on the crazy train. I feel like the Lord, and, and, and all of a sudden he starts reminding me, God starts reminding me as a worshiper of the dreams and the visions and my heart for our region and for what I believe God wants to do in the, in the field of our region. The treasure that he's planted in the field and in, in the landscape of San Diego. And God starts reminding me of this. And I'm just like, yes, God. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, are you willing? I'm like, I'm willing. I'm willing to do anything just to see this. And people are just abandoned and surrendered. Something that happens. When you're surrendered, something happens. And people are surrendered. I'm like, God, I will do anything to see this. And he goes, okay, I want you to invest. I was like, what does that mean? I want you to give money to this. I want the movement church to support this. I was like, that's crazy talk. So I'm standing, now I'm in the back of the room. So I was standing up by the stage and I was like, if I move, God will stop speaking to me because God only speaks if you're close to the stage. That's why you, like, you guys hang out in the back of the room because you're like, God can't get me back here. So it's like, I moved to the back of the room because I'm a, just so you know, I'm the back of the room guy. I pace in the back of the room, okay? I'm telling you, God's gonna get a hold of you no matter where you're at. You can run to the furthest corner of the room. God is going to get a hold of your heart. So here's what happens. I go to the back corner of the room, and I'm like, I'm the farthest away from the stage I could be. And Pastor Don, we call him Papa Don. Pastor Don comes up, stands next to me, and he's like, man, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, this is so good. And I'm like, this is so good. I'm like, I feel like God 
is saying like, we need to invest. He was like, yeah, I felt like the Lord told me that too. And he's like, oh yeah. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I was like, well, how much? And God like, bring, this is how much money. And I was like, yeah, you told the wrong church that. Because <laughs> like, you know, the dude next to me has a nice car and a big house and lives in that zip code. You meant to tell him that much money and he can cover my tithe because I just have too much going on in my circumstances to tithe and be surrendered and invest. God said, no, I'm calling you out of your circumstances and I'm asking you to stand with courage. And I was like, well, you better tell somebody else. So Pastor John was like, well, how much do you think? And I was like, I feel like this is what God told me. He goes, amen, me too. And I was like, you aren't supposed to agree. I was like, oh man, have you ever have you ever felt like that God is like impressing upon you? Like you need to invite, you need to do this, you need to give this to somebody, you need to speak this to somebody, you need to give your time here in this place, you need to give your money. And then you're like, you then you walk around for three days trying to find someone to tell you no, because you're like, if one no, one no is like, that's the voice of God right there. Nope, not supposed to do it. Off the hook, you're like, whoop, take yourself off the hook. I don't, I don't have to do it. I'm being obedient to the voice of God. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get smart. So I talked to Pastor Julie. She's our executive pastor. I said, I feel like this is what the Lord told us to do. And, and I was like, I'm waiting for her voice of sanity to go like, Pat, that's crazy talk. And I, she, I go, this is what I did. And she was like, yeah, I agree. I feel like the Lord's saying the same thing. I was like, no, man. Like, what is wrong with you people? I'm looking for somebody to help me get out of this situation because the circumstances, because I'll be, I'll be honest with you. We're not, we're not that big of a church. Like, I'm like, there's a lot of big, big churches where I'm like, literally, God, you can tell them. Let them do that. Like, I got 20 bucks. God's like, you know what? I want to I'm gonna prove something to you. I want to help you turn a corner. And I was like, okay. So we, we made the commitment. We let, we let David send. We said, this is what we're going to commit to. And I said it. And I was like, is it said? It was like toothpaste coming out of the tube, you know? I was like, I wanted it back in, but you can't get it back in the tube. <laughs> when it's out, it's out. You're done. So I was like, ah, there it is. And then they were like, oh, man. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm doing the right thing, but this, this is painful. And so can I tell you something? We go to our board. We talk to our board of elders. We're like, hey, we feel like this is what God's called us to. I'm thinking that's where God, that God's really going to speak there. And they're going to go like, no. And then they are like, yeah, this is amazing. Let's invest in something outside of the four walls that we believe God's speaking into because it's not about us. It's about his kingdom. It's about reaching the region. And I was just like, that's crazy talk, man. I said, okay. The very next month, we got hit unbelievably hard financially. You know, in that moment where God says, I want you to invest, I want you to step in, I want you to be courageous, the transmission in your car breaks down. You're like, God, I already committed that money. He's like, transmission breaks down. You're like, God, why do you do this? And then, and then the plumbing in your house, and then your kid has a $17,000 band camp bill. I was like, you play a trumpet. Why is it 17? Well, because I have to get an outfit and we got to learn to walk. We do the whole thing. And it's $17,000. I'm like, you got to pay $17,000 to have somebody teach you how to walk with a trumpet like that? Like, I don't need, I can teach you how to walk like that for free. You give me $17,000, man. I'll, I can do a whole lot. I can do more than that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, whatever that is, $17,000, that's crazy talk. 
When you make the decision to invest, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna get hit. And you're gonna hit with people around you and be like, you're crazy. And I have to have the ability, you have to have the ability to go like, oh, what you call crazy, God calls courageous. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You think I'm crazy, but I know what's in the field. Let me read this passage to you. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. I'm gonna stop right there. God hid treasure in the field of his church. He's hidden treasure in the field and the landscape of every one of your hearts. That you are the treasure that lies in the field of God's heart. That he goes, this is the treasure that I paid. Priceless. Priceless treasure that I paid for, that I ransomed with my son Jesus. And what the world wants to call crazy, I, I call courageous. Because I knew what was in the field. See, this man knew what was in the field. Sometimes we have to trust God that we're going to stand and be courageous when everyone else is calling us crazy, when our circumstances don't agree. Well, Pat, you know, you don't understand. Like, you had your mortgage payment, and I got this and that, and it's like, but God told me to do this. That's crazy. Now it's courageous. I'm willing. I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to be courageous. I'm willing to invest. It's the moments we have 15 people in the last three weeks, like 15 people were just like, hey, just raised their hand and just went unsolicited. They just went, I want to serve in our kids' ministry and our kids' church. Seven of those 15 people were men. Okay, here's what's super funny to me. Why did seven men draw a louder response than 15 people? Why is that abnormal? Men, I'm talking to you. Why is that abnormal? Like that should be like 15 men signed up. Like 15, like it shouldn't be an abnormal thing. We should be inventing, well, because you don't understand, man. I, you know, I got a lot going. I got seven kids, bro. I run an organization. I'm a triathlete. I got crazy kids. I've had people tell me, like, you're crazy. Yes. I think I am a little. But I'll tell you what. I will die standing. I will die standing trying to be courageous. I am thankful for the people who gave financially to David Sand. I'm thankful. I... I didn't come to the church and go, hey, we made this commitment to give to David's tent, so you guys need to like give money. I didn't say that. I'm telling you this post-David's tent. You know why? Because this was something that God wanted to do in our this is something God wanted to do in our church at, at a different level. Thank you for those of you who volunteered at David's tent. Thank you for the 15 people who are going to hear this that said, I want to volunteer in our kids' ministry. Thank you to the seven men who said, Thank you for being an example. Thank you for making what God wants to do viral. Thank you for stepping in. 
Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for despite your circumstances. There are people sitting in this room right now that I'm thankful that even though they have busy schedules, even they have a lot going on, I think about right now, I, I see the Moen family sitting here. Obviously, you guys weren't sitting here the last service. So, and these guys, they're the quiet, like they're not going to make a big, these guys are so busy. Dana is so busy, but I watch their family serve together at 11.15, periodically. They go, this is when we can serve. We can cut out 90 minutes of our life. And we can show up and we can invest and we can be courageous. And their kid, they stand at the door. I'd be smiling at everybody. I'm like, I love your beautiful smile. I love when I see you smile. When I walk in the door, I see your smile. I'm just like, today is going to be a good day. The Moans are manning the door. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I know you're busy. I know there's others who are busy. I know, but it takes courage. I wonder. God shows me out in our dirt field a community center where people can come and they can receive things. They can receive help. We can spend time during the week. We can do things at night. We can have stuff happen on Sunday mornings. We can have baptisms out there. I see this community center outside of this building, out in that dirt lot that we own. I see a treasure in the field. People are like, you're crazy. I just see dirt. I think God looks at my life like that. God looks at your life like that. God looks at our church like that. There's so many treasures if you knew what was buried in the field, you would sell it all. If you knew what was buried in the field of the person sitting next to you, you would sell it all and have everything in common. If you knew what was buried, the treasure, the rich treasure buried, in the region that you live in, you'd be willing to give it all and invest. We are going to be a church who says, we want to run with passion and an intention. And we want to find out. I want, I want, to, I want to see the treasure. But that means we have, to, we have to step in. We have to grab a shovel we got to grab a rake. we got to grab, we got to grab whatever. We, we have to go, well, hey, I got five bucks. I got $5,000. I got $50,000. I got an hour. I got 10 hours. We have to be courageous, family. The byproduct of this is that all these people lived together with glad and sincere hearts and found favor with one another. That sounds like great relationship. That sounds like a pretty good payoff because at the end of the day, it's always about people. In financial investment, every penny counts. In family investment, every person counts. You count. The treasure of your life, it counts. The talent that God's given you, it counts. When you feel like what you bring is insignificant, that's the enemy. Because you count, you matter. 
God would never die for something that didn't matter. Think about this for a second. He would never die for something that had no worth and value. He would never give his life for something that was worthless. He would never say, I am sending my son to deliver you because what he was delivering had zero value. He would never weave you together in the womb of your mother and call you and name you before the foundations of this earth if you had no value. You have a value. It's when we stand up together, we stand not just shoulder to shoulder, but we weave our hearts together, the fabric of who we are, and we say we are willing to have everything in common and invest and be courageous, that we see the manifestation of what happened here. And added to their numbers daily. Are you invested? Let's stand this morning. Sometimes the most courageous thing that we have to do is actually not investing. It's actually having the ability to recognize what we need to stop investing in. Sometimes the most courageous thing in my life, I'm going to tell you the hardest time, the hard, the, the, this is in all transparency, all vulnerability, the hardest moments in my life aren't when God asked me to invest in something, to give to something to give time, money, talent, get like what my abilities, my skill. That's aren't the hard. What the hardest times in my life is when God comes to me and says, "I need you to stop doing this because it's not adding value." So that you can do this where value is added. Well, but God, you know. <laughs> we argue about it. He wins. However long it takes, trust me. He wins. That is one of the most courageous moments in your life. This morning, I'm going to ask you, are you invested in the mission of the church? Are you investing in things that God's saying, hey, I want you to stop investing in these things? And you'll find that you have lots of time. That that thing that you do really well can be used to show people that they're loved. No matter what it is. If you're administrative in the room, you like putting things in order, and you like everything has a place and every place has a thing type of person. You know, that, that's a gift from God. And you're loving people with that gift because no one wants to feel like they're not in a place they're supposed to be. And you can help administrate. You can help administer, minister. You can help add ministry to people's lives. There's nothing under the sun you could say to me that God cannot use for his glory. The investment is in the room. The resource is in the room. Are we willing? Are you and I willing to say yes? step in and be courageous and invest and go after the land to go after the treasure that's buried in it. I want to know what's buried in the land. Let's pray.
God, this morning, I repent and I'm sorry for the moments in my life that I do fight you. I know at the end of the day, so many times what I'm doing is I'm spending more time and money arguing with you. So it costs me more time and money than if I would have just been obedient and listened the first time. So God, I, I'm sorry. I repent for being rebellious. But we're, 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 we've turned a corner. God, we're going after the land. We're, we're going after the field. We're going after the treasure. God, we, we, know, we know a little bit about what it is that you're showing us, and that's enough. That's all I need to know. But we're going after it. If you're ready to invest this morning, raise your hand. Amen. Lord, I pray right now for an outpouring of your presence and your spirit into every single one of our lives and our homes. God, that when we say, just the fact that we said today, that we stood together and we said we're willing to invest, can I tell you that get ready because Monday's coming? Be prepared. People are going to be crazy. They're going to think you're crazy. You're going to think people are crazy. You're going to be like, this is ridiculous. The enemy is going to try and come at you because you made a decision. You, but you're making a decision right now. The decision's been made. Toothpaste out of the tube. You can't get it back. There's no looking back. There's no going back to your old ways. There's no attaching yourself to those shackles. There's no going back to that ball and chain. There's no going back to that prison. There's no going back to that ship. There's no, there's no way that I'm going to go back to the way that I used to live my life. I'm not turning back. I am not going to try to invest in my future by looking into my past. I'm not going to try to invest in what you've called us to, God, as a church and as a person, looking into my past and all the mistakes that I've made. Get ready, family. We're going after the field. Get ready, family. We're going after the field. Get ready, family. We're going after the field. 3,120 people changed the world. 3,120 people changed the world. What can we do? What can we do? What can we bring? What change can we make when we go after the field? What happens when we stand with courage and we go after the field? Yeah. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to come forward. you're struggling right now, it's okay. It's possible to stand and struggle at the same time. It is possible to stand and struggle at the same time. It is possible to run and struggle at the same time. You don't have to stop. If you're struggling this morning, come forward. It could be a number of things. Come forward and get prayer. For the rest of you, have your mind set this week on investing. Time, money, into people. Take the moments. Be willing. Ask God, God, what are you asking me to invest? What are you asking me to divest from? Be open. In Jesus' name, everyone said.